Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we continue our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. The Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Ina Dillard Russell Library on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. These events are free and open to the public, so if this discussion sparks your interest, please consider joining the conversation at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Our topics of conversation for this Times Talk are two pieces of legislation that are sweeping states across the country, and they are the ability to carry firearms onto college campuses and bills designed to augment religious freedom. My guest today is Matt Ressing, business law and ethics professor at the J. Whitney Bunting College of Business at Georgia College. Matt, welcome back to Georgia College Connections. Thank you. So before we get into either one of these pieces of legislation, I thought that I'd ask you to just generally talk about how did they get onto our Times Talk agenda today? September 19th through 23rd is Constitution Week. So we have a number of activities planned for that week. We're, in fact, starting it with a kickoff event on Friday, September 16th, which is Constitution Day. And then the following week, the 19th through the 22nd, is going to be Constitution Week. So that was one of the reasons I chose this uh, Times Talk is because we have an opportunity to discuss different constitutional issues. We also have an opportunity to bring in legislatures from the Georgia legislature who took opposing positions on these bills when they were brought up before them. So on Wednesday, September 21st, we're going to have our Times Talk at noon in the library where we'll have a student discussion of these issues. But then at starting at 6.30 p.m. in the Arts and Sciences Auditorium, we're going to have three state legislators come in. State Representative Susan Holmes, State Representative Stacey Godfrey Evans, and State Senator Josh McCoon. And they each took strong positions uh, for or against these bills as they made their way through the Georgia legislature. And of course, uh, remind our audience, in case they uh, don't recall or in case they did not know at all, uh, what was the final situation with these two pieces of legislation as they went through, I guess it was the 2016 session of the Georgia General Assembly? Sure. So these two bills, I believe they were officially named the Safe Campus Carry Act and the Free Exercise Protection Act. They passed through the Georgia House and the Georgia Senate, so they were uh, approved by both houses of the Georgia legislature to be made into law. And at that point, it goes before Governor uh, Governor Nathan Deal for either his signature or his veto, or he can do nothing, and then they'll pass into law. Governor Deal vetoed uh, each of these two bills in uh, a move that was somewhat surprising. Uh, a lot of these bills were pushed by uh, Republican elements, uh, conservative elements within the legislature, and Governor Deal identifies as both a Republican and a conservative. Uh, so there was some surprise that he would veto both of these bills. Uh, literally, on the, I believe on the last day, he had the opportunity to do so. We're close to it. Well, I know that uh, one preceded the other. And I, I my, myself, as an observer of the legislature, uh, thought for certain um, that when he 
vetoed, I believe it was first the religious freedom bill, mm-hmm. um, that he would succumb to the pressure put on him by uh, the Republican-controlled legislature to uh, sign the campus carry bill into law. And uh, so it was a, a great surprise to see that he um, vetoed both of them mm-hmm. and you know really put himself um, – and opposition with a strong majority of legislators in Atlanta, um, but you know, also to an extent, you know, a, a cross section of the Georgia population. Mm-hmm. No, I th- and I think you're right. I think he did veto the religious freedom bill a couple days or a week before Campus Carry, and then that one, I believe, Campus Carry went down to the wire. In fact, there was some speculation that he might just do nothing uh, and and allow it to to pass without uh, putting either his stamp of approval or his veto upon it. But you're right. It was a, it was a bit surprising, especially that he would veto both of them. And these were incredibly controversial bills, and still are today. So that's the reason we're talking about it, not as you know a study of history, but because uh, these type of bills have have been passed in many other state legislatures uh, around the country, and we're starting to see some of the results of that. Uh, and they may very well come up again. In fact, I'd be very surprised if they weren't proposed again in this next year's uh, Georgia legislature. And uh, we will see if they meet a similar fate. Well, they were so uh, uh, cont- What is the word I'm looking for? It's like contingent. No, it's not contingent, but contentious. Mm-hmm. Well, they were so contentious at the time that I know that uh, there was talk about a special session being called to override the governor's veto on these. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the vows that were coming out of Atlanta, you know, in the days following his veto – was that these will come back. Mm -hmm. You know, these are issues that, um, like you said, are, you know, actually, you know, have been written into law in other states. And, um, you know, we're seeing what the uh, results of that are. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's still a great desire to see these enacted within the state of Georgia. And they're not only contentious issues, but they're potentially voter wedge issues. So we can't ignore the fact that this all happened in an election year. So, you know, the proponents of these bills, the opposition to these bills, deals, decision, you know, how much did politics come to bear on that? You know, we'll never know. But it's certainly uh, worth thinking about that this all happened in an election year and may turn out differently next year, if only for the reason that uh, nobody's up for re-election next year. And Governor Deal, of course, is no longer eligible for re-election. That is correct. Well, we're going to take a short break right now, but if you're just joining us, you're listening to another Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections here on WRGC 88.3 FM. The Times Talk, of course, is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. It's free and open to the public, so if this issue is important to you, please come out and join the conversation at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. We'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections.
Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. We're having another Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections. Joining me in the studio is business law and ethics professor Matt Ressing, and he's here today on his Times Talk topic, Campus Carry in Religious Freedom in the State of Georgia. Uh, so in that last segment, we were just kind of giving a brief exposition about you know how these got to the Times Talk, how they fared during the last legislative session, and of course, we're going to have to break them apart part talk about one at a time and i thought we'd start off with campus carry now this of course was the um effort to try to allow licensed gun owners to be able to bring firearms onto campus mm-hmm. now going back to uh its most basic concept the right to bear arms is guaranteed by the second amendment mm-hmm. now why exactly do we need a piece of state legislation that allows us to carry firearms onto certain places well, when we're interpreting a constitutional right and, and what that actually means in modern day society, it's not enough just to look at the text of the Constitution. You also have to look at uh, 200 years of case law interpreting that. So when it says you know, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed, what does that actually mean in modern society? And of course, the first part of the Second Amendment talks about a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state and then goes on to express this right. So a lot of people have puzzled over that for many years. It's very odd to have almost a preamble within your constitutional right. So whereas we uh, you know, need this militia for the security of a free state, you know, therefore, is that what it's saying? Or is it saying you only have the right to bear arms to the extent you're engaging in this militia? And what is a militia? What does that mean? So like many provisions of the Constitution, what might seem simple, once you really start getting into parsing the language, becomes complicated. And for hundreds of years, federal courts interpreted the Second Amendment to say it is not absolute. It does not provide an absolute right to carry any weapon you want anywhere you want. The federal and state government can put limitations on your ability to bear arms. And that has generally been upheld but it never went to the Supreme Court. This is one of these very odd, you know, having a very central constitutional question that was never really resolved by the Supreme Court until recently. It wasn't until 2008 that we ever really had a Second Amendment case go all the way to the Supreme Court. And that was D.C. Uh, v. Heller. And that Supreme Court case established that you can have a handgun in your home for self-protection. So whatever the Second Amendment means, it means at least that, that the state, or in this case, the District of Columbia, cannot ban you from having a handgun in your home, uh, a licensed handgun in your home. But that's all it really said. So we're still puzzling around the margins. What exactly uh, does it mean? Uh, And generally speaking, if you look at case law, that states uh, have the right to restrict the use of firearms. And and all we know is that... uh, you know, the only reason, the only point at which they violate the Constitution is when they say you can't have it in your home. We don't know what any lesser limitations to that effect might be because the Supreme Court has never addressed it. And of course, in D.C. v. Heller, it was a 5-4 decision. The man who cast the deciding vote is now deceased. We don't know exactly how these cases will turn out in the future. It's possible a future Supreme Court might even say you don't have that right. And can you talk a little bit more about the right that is being sought to be conferred through this campus carry? Yes. So I guess we have to do a little bit of a history lesson for the last few years in Georgia gun laws and weapons carry laws. So two years ago, 
Georgia legislature passed a bill that some people called the Guns Everywhere Law. And, uh, but it might be called the Guns Almost Everywhere Law because even though it did loosen restrictions on where you could carry your firearm, now allowing you to carry it into bars uh, or restaurants, now allowing you to carry it into government buildings in certain cases, now allowing you to carry it into churches with permission, it still said you can't have it in schools. So schools and churches and were really the vast refuges, I guess you might say, the last places of restriction for firearms after the Guns Everywhere bill. This past legislative term, both of those came under attack. So the bill we're talking about now said, let's allow weapons on campus. And there was actually a separate bill that wanted to change the laws regarding weapons in churches. Both of these bills passed completely through the legislature, but then Governor Deal vetoed it. So even if this bill had passed, it would not allow the same sort of weapons carry rights that, that the general public has while walking the streets or even going into some businesses. It was limited to handguns. It was limited to concealed carry. And it did not allow this in buildings used for sporting events or student housing. So maybe a little bit of an odd carve out, but you couldn't have it in a dormitory. You couldn't have it in a college sponsored fraternity or sorority house. You couldn't have it as a sporting event. But you could carry a concealed pistol to a classroom if you are 21 can have a Georgia weapons carry permit. That's what it would have allowed you to do. As we made mention earlier um, parts of this interview today, this law is, is not something unique to Georgia. There have actually been states that have passed this. And one of the articles that you put forth for your Times Talk goes out and talks to several people at the University of Texas mm -hmm. in Austin. And I was wondering if you could kind of talk about that article and some of the things we're hearing uh, from colleagues in some of the states that have these campus carry bills in place now. Well, this is a wedge issue. This is a very contentious issue, and people feel very strongly on one side or another. So we have places in the country, states that have now allowed campus carry, and we've seen a bit of a reaction, protests by people who oppose it, students who oppose it, faculty and staff who oppose it. And in the University of Texas at Austin, we've seen some organization around that that's capturing some media headlines. And you know, it really comes down to concerns about does this make a campus more safe or does it make a campus less safe? You yourself are a faculty member here, mm -hmm. and this was a very contentious issue uh, while it was going through the General Assembly in spring of 2016. Mm -hmm. Is there any way that you can give insight into some of the conversations you had with other uh, colleagues here on the Georgia College campuses as this was being debated under the Gold Dome in Atlanta? Sure. Well, I think with any wedge issue, you tend the most vocal people tend to be the ones who are vehemently against it or vehemently for it. So that, that's kind of what you hear when you talk to people about this issue. I probably heard more from professors, faculty members who are opposed to it. And I believe that teachers unions have come out against it. And I believe that the position of the Board of Regents was that they did not support this. But of course, you, you hear both sides. You have, you know, have faculty members, students who are uh, gun owners, who are advocates for expansive uh, interpretation of the Second Amendment, and who feel that this would actually be a beneficial measure for campus security. And I think that's really what it came down to for Governor Deal. And what I find probably the most fascinating about this whole issue was Governor Deal's veto statement which uh, many saw at odds with his conservative chops. He's a, he's a Republican. He's a conservative. They, you know, a lot of people thought of him as perhaps a gun rights advocate, but he, he did veto this. 
and in no uh, uncertain terms. And he gives a very lawyerly response in his veto. It's a fascinating read, and it's available online with the governor's office. But he, he digs into constitutional case law, really what I just talked about, the, the fact that Justice Scalia and D.C.V. Heller, who, who, who is really seen as a defender of the Second Amendment, read expansively or read textually, is really seen as a gun rights advocate, in Scalia's DCV Heller opinion, he repeatedly says this is not a you can have guns everywhere type of right. Our history in this country is that states, localities have been able to put restrictions on it. So Governor Deal says, let's get that out of the way right off the bat. The Second Amendment does not give a no-holds-barred right to carry your weapon wherever you want. Not something we often hear coming from the Republican side of the aisle. Uh, he then goes on to talk about some history and the history of the University of Virginia. So he takes us back to 1824, some of the minutes of the Board of Visitors of, of UVA, and they voted to not allow weapons on campus. And who were two of the uh, people that voted on this? Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. So Deal says, well, if you think the, the founders intended this, here's two of them that wouldn't allow it at their school. So he really sets out this argument that schools are special in some way. He also makes an interesting, almost a dig maybe, at the advocates for this bill. He says at the end, well, if we're really worried about campus safety, maybe we should increase the penalties for having a weapon on campus. So if your concerns are about safety, maybe we should uh, have unauthorized possession and use of the firearm, an act that carries an increased penalty. So, so maybe you should consider actually punishing this activity rather than allowing it. It's kind of fascinating. It's not just a veto. This is a gubernatorial body slam and really has uh, a lot of echoes for when this bill will come up again this year. I would think if he vetoed it at that time and said this about it, he's, he's ready to veto it again. Well, of course, this was one of the more personal dramas that took place uh, during the 2016 uh, legislative session in which um, he had issued a, a statement to legislators about concerns he had with the canvas carry bill ahead of time and certain, I guess, considerations for things such as uh, child care on campus um, and other areas where he didn't quite see the need for guns to be you know, allowed at all. Those concerns uh, fell upon deaf ears within the legislature and they passed along um, those bills for campus carry, you know, to his office without any change of it. Mm -hmm. So it would not surprise me, in fact, that he would issue a gubernatorial body slam <laughs> within his uh, veto statements uh, for those. But unfortunately, no, I think we could have an entire conversation just on campus carry, but right. we do need to get to our religious freedom, which um, I think is equally important, you know, not only for our Constitution Week discussions, uh, but you know, also uh, within the topography of Georgia politics mm -hmm. this season. So we're going to take a short break right now. But if you're just joining us, you're listening to a Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections. I'm talking with business law and ethics professor Matt Ressing about two hot button issues in the 2016 and well, let's just say on into the future uh, legislative sessions. And that is campus carry in religious freedom. So we'll be back to talk more about religious freedom in this next segment of Georgia College Connections.
Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. In this episode, we're having another of our Times Talk conversations. The Times Talk is a product of the American Democracy Project at Georgia College, in which they host weekly current events and ideas symposiums at noon Wednesday in the Georgia College Library. If you enjoy our conversation today, please come out and join the dialogue at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. I'm talking today with Matt Ressing of the J. Whitney Bunting College of Business about two pieces of controversial legislation that came out of the 2016 legislative session and then were subsequently vetoed by Governor Nathan Deal. And those were the effort to allow firearms on college campuses and then an, an effort to augment religious freedom. So in this segment, we're going to talk about the Religious Liberties Bill, and I wanted to start off our conversation with going back to the veto statements that um, Governor Nathan Deal issued um, when he vetoed this piece of legislation. He was, um, again, vetoing an ability to allow people to hold fast to their firmly held religious beliefs, and I guess not engage in business with people who uh, may have a lifestyle or have actions that would go against their religious held beliefs. In his statement, uh, Governor Nathan Deal said, In light of our history, I find it somewhat ironic that some in the religious community today feel that it is necessary for government to confer upon them certain rights and protections. If indeed our religious liberty is conferred upon us by God and not by man-made government, Perhaps we should simply heed the hands-off admonition of the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Wow, that's a very interesting comment coming from a Republican governor who, um, I guess, arguably still, but definitely in the run-up to you know these veto statements, was very popular with conservatives and Republicans within his state. Mm -hmm. As we spoke to last time, um, you know, uh, love him or hate him, you know, you can't um, knock the fact that he took an unpopular stance within his caucus mm -hmm. and stood behind it. Uh, so I guess if you could give us an exposition of what is all the controversy about with the Religious Freedom Bill? Well, if you look at the text of this bill, it is all about religious freedom. In fact, the name of it is the Free Exercise Protection Act. Now, this bill came under criticism as a license to discriminate against LGBT individuals. So this was seen as a response to the legalization of same-sex marriage, to kind of the social growing acceptance of gay people. This was thought to be an effort to allow churches, to allow ministers, and even to allow private businesses to discriminate against gay people. Now, you're not going to see that anywhere in this bill. It doesn't mention gay people, it doesn't mention gay marriage, it doesn't mention you know, LGBT. But that's what it was suspected uh, of, of doing. And I think Governor Deal essentially calls that out in his veto. He says, you know, we don't, we don't have to discriminate against anyone, implying that this bill discriminates or, or at least might discriminate. So what does it actually do? If it doesn't say anything about LGBT individuals, what does it say? It's really an amalgamation of you know, two or perhaps three different bills that were working their way through the system and got combined. One was called the Pastor Protection Act, and this was a bill that said basically that pastors, ministers cannot be penalized for refusing to solemnize a marriage. And again, they don't say gay marriage, but that was the implication is that a same-sex couple might come to a pastor, say, hey, we want to be married, and the pastor would say, look, uh, you know, I'm not comfortable with this, or, or more particularly... Doing that would violate my deeply held religious belief that a marriage is between a man and a woman. So therefore, I can't do it, and that the pastor would then be sued. 
And this was designed to protect against that. So that's, that's part number one. Part number two talks about faith-based organizations and says that they do not have to hire people that where they feel that that person's actions, uh, you know, violate organizations' religious principles. Again, not being specific, but it was suspected that this meant that if a gay person applies to work in a church, perhaps even you know uh, the uh, you know choir master of a church choir, uh, they could say no, or to teach in a, a church affiliated school, the church could say no. Uh, and then the third part of this is pretty much a standard RIFRA, you know, what we call a, a Religious Freedom Restoration Act that the federal government has and several states have as well. We've talked about this on prior shows, and it gets a bit technical, but it's essentially saying that religious freedom gets the strictest protections available under law. A early Supreme Court had found that religious freedom cases under the First Amendment get very strict protection. A later Supreme Court, actually a conservative Supreme Court, chipped away at that. And then a Democratic-dominated legislature under President Bill Clinton passed this Religious Freedom Restoration Act that basically told the Supreme Court to apply strict scrutiny again. So it gets into the weeds a bit, but it's essentially saying we're going to give religious protection, the, the ultimate protection available under law, arguably giving maybe not even arguably, giving religious institutions and people acting on the basis of their faith more protection than others have. So if you're doing something in the name of your religion, you might be able to break the law, or at least it's going to be a lot harder for us to impose that law upon you. So those are the three parts to this bill. Like the campus carry, this is, again, a piece of legislation that has been enacted in other states, you know, even here in the South. Can you talk about um, what has been the result of those religious freedom laws being enacted elsewhere? Pandemonium. You know, it's different, of course, depending on the situation, but it has always led to conflict. So what's really interesting about this bill, and perhaps the key reason Governor Deal felt comfortable vetoing it, is, is it doesn't really seem to do much. You know, I think he saw it somewhat as posturing and I don't think this bill really effectuates much or gives much protection that's not already there. And I think he said that, you know, in his veto. Pastor Protection Act, we really haven't seen lawsuits against ministers who refuse to solemnize a gay marriage. And it's pretty unclear that there would be any grounds for such a lawsuit uh, under typical religious freedom protection. When you talk about businesses, including faith-based organizations, being able to discriminate against LGBT people, well, in the state of Georgia, they can do that anyway. Uh, we don't have any state law protections against LGBT people. We might have federal protections. It's, it's a bit of a gray area, but nothing the Georgia legislature can do would, uh, you know, let you out of those protections. But one thing that it did do, though, is it would have superseded a city of Atlanta uh, non-discrimination piece of legislation. And that is really the big deal. Uh, you know, they, the, what this all comes down to, what the real fight is about, is located in one tiny little line. And the fact it's not what it says, it's what it doesn't say. Near the end, tacked on, it says, nothing in this chapter shall be construed to permit discrimination on any grounds prohibited by federal or state law. So we've told you all this stuff, but none of that can violate the anti-discrimination protections under federal or state law. Well, as I mentioned, federal law, the Georgia state can't come up with laws that supersede federal law, so that goes without saying. State law, there are no state laws providing these protections. 
And what it doesn't say, it's more about what it doesn't say. If they had put a comma and the local law, then we might not have even had to fight about this. And, and this document might really have had, not, had no bearing whatsoever. But that was the suspicion, is that this was, there are certain localities, like the city of Atlanta and, and certain counties around it, that have passed local anti-discrimination laws. And this bill would supersede those. I'm remiss that we have to abridge uh, our conversation now uh, for the time constraints with our show. But I do need to ask you the perennial Last Times Talk question. Mm-hmm. What do you hope that the audience gains out of this Times Talk when you have it tomorrow? Well, our Times Talks are, are open to community, but they're more geared towards students. I really want these students engaging in the primary source documents. I'm sure that you know any random student or faculty member or community member has a, a gut reaction to these issues of uh, campus carry and religious freedom. But what I try and do is really draw them into the material. Exactly what is being said in this bill? Exactly what did the governor do? What are the arguments that are being presented? How does this tie back to the Constitution and federal law? I'm often just looking for a spark of inspiration that will lead the students or community members to dig into our legal history and understand how complicated this system is and how much their input matters to the future of how we interpret these issues. Well, Matt, thank you for bringing that beyond just the confines of our college campus and out into the community uh, to talk about this uh, with our radio audience on Georgia College Connections. Thank you. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. This was another in our series of conversations following the Times Talk. The Times Talk, of course, is an event put on weekly by the American Democracy Project at Georgia College. It's open to the public and free to attend. So if you enjoyed our conversation today, please consider coming out and joining us at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Today we were talking with Matt Ressing, a business law and ethics professor at the J. Whitney Bunch. College of Business at Georgia College about two times talks that are embedded within the larger Constitution Week activities that are taking place on the campus of Georgia College. We talk specifically about campus carry, the ability to bring firearms onto college campuses within the state of Georgia, and religious freedom legislation attempt to try and augment religious freedom within the state of Georgia. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. I appreciate you spending a portion of your evening with me here on Georgia College Connections, and I look forward to convening with you next time.